you who are watching either online or by TV. We'll have people watching this all over the world, and I want to welcome you to Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, thank you for those of you in the building today. Yesterday was one of the most unusual days in my life. I saw dogs eat hogs. I saw cats eat gators. It was an unbelievable day for me. And it was just awesome, just awesome yesterday. God is good all the time. Now, they say, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And there have been certain photographs taken throughout history that were so iconic that they put places and people on the map and in a way that you can't ever forget them. And I'm going to just show you just a few. For example, if you're a boxing fan, you'll, you'll know this picture. That's a picture of Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston. And it's one of the probably the most iconic boxing pictures of all time. And if you know anything about history, you should know this particular military people. Where is that taken? Iwo Jima, we all should never forget that. That is one of the most famous military photos nobody had ever heard and to this day would have never heard of Iwo Jima had that picture never been taken. You know this silhouette. Who is that? It's Michael Jordan. Maybe the most famous silhouette ever photographed. As a matter of fact, you ready for this? This image, this image that was photographed taken from a silhouette is now seen on shoes and clothing and bedroom walls around the world. That brand this year made $4.7 billion. It's amazing what a picture can do. Here's another picture. You may remember that. That picture made a commercial pilot named Sully Sullenberger a celebrity after he made one of the greatest landings in commercial aviation history on the Hudson River. Everybody now knows who Sully was. And then finally, if you know anything about 9-11, you know this. This is an iconic photo of President Obama at the time watching the raid that took the life and took out for Obama, uh, uh, Osama bin Laden, which will forever be etched in our memories. Pictures are worth a thousand words. A picture, just one picture, can put somebody on the map forever. And if 3,500 years ago we had cameras there would be a picture that we would have today that literally put an ancient Hebrew prophet put, called Moses on the map. Now, we can't say for sure how it looked, but it looked something like that. And if Moses had a picture that he kept and passed down for generations in his family, it would have been that picture because that picture not only put Moses on the map, it put Moses in the movies. Two movies have been made about that picture. As a matter of fact, the crossing of the Red Sea, I didn't know this, is mentioned more times in the Old Testament than the Passover. It's mentioned in four other books of the Old Testament. In fact, 40 years, four decades after this happened, when the Israelites were about to enter into the Promised Land, two Hebrew spies met a prostitute in Jericho named Rahab. Here's what Rahab told them. If we put it up there. It's supposed to be there. Maybe it's not there. All right, well, I'll just say it. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. So this event created quite a buzz in the ancient world. Forty years later, a prostitute in Jericho who had never even met Moses said, oh, yeah, we heard about that. We've been talking about that. My parents told me that when I was just a child. 
And this event in the life of Moses has given rise to this series that we're calling Red Sea Moments. If you live long enough, you'll have your own Red Sea Moments. This week, one of the members of our church, a deacon, works in our TV ministry, lost his dad on one day and his mother the next day. We all have Red Sea Moments. Now, I don't mean you'll be parting the waters in your neighborhood swimming pool. That's not what I mean. Here's what I mean. You'll get to the end of your money before you get to the end of your month, and you'll have a Red Sea moment. You'll encounter those situations when it looks like there's no way out, there's no way up, everything leads to failure and defeat. You know, we've got modern phrases like that. Sometimes we'll say, you're up the creek without a paddle. Or sometimes we'll say you're between a rock and a hard place. Or, or sometimes it's, it's when your back is against the wall. By the way, you know where we get that phrase, right? That phrase comes from placing people against a wall of execution by a firing squad. When, you're back, when your back's against the wall and you're facing seven rifles, you know you're in an intense situation and there's no possibility of escape. Well, if you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn to the second book in the Bible. It's the book of Exodus, right after the book of Genesis, Exodus chapter 14. What we're going to look at today is the most celebrated event in Jewish history. And the way it all came down and the way it all resulted in what happened afterwards may actually shock you. I've already told you two movies have been made concerning this event, and two words are all you need to know. It's called the Exodus. Now, the Israelites were on the run. They were fleeing their Egyptian slavers. And if you had been standing where Moses was standing, you probably would have said something like this. Hey, guys, I've taken as far as I can go. This is the end of the line. We need to get our affairs in, over, in order. There's no way out, no way up, no way back. It is all over. But, you know, most of you know how the ending goes, right? You probably have taught this to your kids. Maybe you saw one of those movies. God comes to the rescue. God parts the Red Sea. The children of Israel pass through. God then closes the waters back on the Egyptian army, and he drowns them, and he saves the day. Great story. Hope you tell your story, your kids this. Hope you tell your grandkids that story. But it raises a relevant question. What does that got to do with me? I mean, this is 2021. What in the world does this story have to do with me? Well, again, as you're going to see, we are always, we regularly face Red Sea moments when we're boxed in and it seems like there's no way out. You lost your job. You've applied for four different jobs, and you've been turned out all four times. You're in a Red Sea moment. You cannot imagine any way your marriage is going to make it. You're in a Red Sea moment. You just got a diagnosis. You just got the call from the doctor's office this week, and it looks like there's going to be no hope for your healing. You better get your affairs in order. You are at a Red Sea moment. Well, the same God that came through for Moses and the same God that came through for the nation of Israel is alive and well today. And he wants to come through for you. So if I'm talking to you this morning, if you're watching me online right now, wherever, and you're saying, you've got my full attention, I am in full Red Sea moment alert. What do you do when you've got the Red Sea in front of you, the army behind you, and there's no place to go, no place to turn? You might want to write down two or three things. 
Number one, you trust God wherever he leads. You trust God wherever he leads. Now, the first question we have to ask is something most people don't think about. How did Israel get in this mess to begin with? How in the world would they allow themselves to get boxed in like this with the Red Sea before them and no way out and no way up? Well, you don't have to look long to learn. We're in Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea. They do encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. You don't need to remember all those names, but here's the point. Israel felt like they were like a rat caught in a trap, and there's a good reason for that. They were. They literally were like rats caught in a trap. Baal Zephon was a geographical dead end because here's what they faced. There was these huge Egyptian fortresses to the north. Then you had to the south nothing but the uh, Pharaoh's or uh, the Egyptian de desert. Pharaoh's army is closing in from the west, and to the east you've got the Red Sea, or, or, or what they call, what we would call today, the Gulf of Suez. Now, the Israelites have been living in slavery. Remember, we go back. They've been living in slavery for 400 years. Culturally, they were not Hebrews. Culturally, they were Egyptians. They had long ago forgotten God. They had long ago forgotten about all the miracles that God had worked, but God had not forgotten them. And this moment, was no accident. So we're in verse 18. So we read it again. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. Israel had to learn a lesson. A lesson you and I have to learn. I've had to learn it in my life. You'll have to learn it in your life. What so many of us have also learned, if you don't, you will learn it. There are times in our life that what appears to be a mistake that we made or it appears to be a miscalculation. It appears to be something we just messed up on. It looks like a wrong turn that we took. It really wasn't. It was God's guidance. It was God's direction. It was God leading us to where he wanted us to go. Because after the people left Egypt, here's what happened. When they left Egypt, they traveled down toward the Sinai Peninsula, which they should have done. But then they turned west. They shouldn't have, but they did. Because God led them. And it goes right into a cul-de-sac. Now, the U-turn appeared to be a lethal military blunder. It looked like a neural, another General Custer moment. What in the world? You, just, you were supposed to go east. You were trying to get away from them. Why did you turn west? Here's the problem. They weren't lost. They were being led. They didn't know it. God was leading them to this point in their life. Now, I want you to keep something in mind. This is so important. Sometimes God leads us to a dead end to teach us to trust him for the way out. Sometimes God leads us to a dead end to teach us to trust him for the way out. See, it's not the good times that teach you to trust God. It's the bad times. It's not when, listen, when the wind is at your back, it's easy to trust God. But when the wind's in your face, that's another story. And that's when God loves to work a miracle. I'll give you an example. The seminary that I went to, I spent seven years of my life at a seminary, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. The seminary that I went to was extremely liberal. As a matter of fact, of our six seminaries, it was the most liberal of all the seminaries. I had professors at, now this is a Southern Baptist seminary. I had professors that did not believe in the resurrection. 
They did not believe in the virgin birth. They believed hook, line, and sinker in evolution. They did not believe certain things the Bible clearly calls sin was sinful. They were extremely liberal. They didn't believe hardly anything in the book of Genesis. They didn't believe much of the Old Testament. The flood never happened. The parting of the Red Sea was a meteorological natural occurrence. Moses didn't part the Red Sea. David didn't really kill Goliath with a stone. He shot him with a shotgun. I mean, I heard all this stuff for seven years. This really did not happen the way God said it happened. And I can remember my first week, I was at Southern. I came home to my apartment. Teresa and I had only been married for a few months. I came home. I just broke down. I started weeping. I said, I've, I've blown it. She said, what do you mean? I said, I've made a mistake. This is not where I should have gone. This is not where we need to be. She kind of talked me down off the ledge. I spent seven years of my life. It was seven of the toughest years I've ever spent in my life. It really didn't end well with some of my professors there. But looking back on it, it's the best thing I've ever done. You know why? Because God was preparing me to defend what I believed. And God was preparing me to defend why I believe it. I've told, I've told my sons this many times, all this liberal claptrap I hear out here today, whether it's political, theological, or whatever, I've heard it before. There's nothing new under the sun. Anything you hear today theologically that doesn't sound right, just remember, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when one question was asked, has God really said that? So it doesn't matter whether it's adultery, homosexuality, gay marriage, no, has God really said that? Newsflash, yeah, God really said that. And God said what he meant, and God meant what he said. But I spent seven years of my life having people try, no, 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 that's really not what it meant. And I look back on it now, and I realize, God, you led me to that school. You wanted to strengthen my faith. You wanted to solidify my beliefs. You wanted to equip me to defend what I believed and why. And see, here's my point. Sometimes God leads you to a detour. Sometimes God leads you to a dead end. Sometimes God leads you to a dry hole. And just because your back is against the wall does not mean that you're out of God's will. Many times it means you are absolutely in God's will. Because I want you to think about something about the Red Sea. Let me just ask you this. Do you, how many of you love the, love the story of the part of the Red Sea? I mean, don't you love this? It's a cool story, right? It's a good story, right? Man, their they're, they're, they're backs are against the wall. Looks like it's curtains, and boom, this Red Sea parts, and they go, it's a pretty cool story. But here's what you got to remember. You can't cross the Red Sea if you don't come to the Red Sea. If you never come to the Red Sea, there won't be any crossing of it. So first of all, God leads us to the Red Sea. Sometimes God leads you to, where a, place, to a place where you say, Lord, if you don't come through, I am done, and that's when God says, wonderful, now I've got you exactly where I want you. Because I want you to know when you come through, you didn't do it, I did it for you. So number one, what do you do when your back is against the wall? Trust God wherever he leads. Now, I can stop right there. I mean, that's pretty deep stuff, and I know for some of you that would be hard to do. And in case you're thinking, does the message get easier? No, it gets tougher. Because not only must you trust God wherever he leads, you have to obey God whenever he speaks. You have to obey God whenever he speaks. Verse 9, the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, 
pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Haharoth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. So the Israelites' backs are against the wall. They can hear the horses as they're coming down the way. They can see the spears and the shields gleaming in the sun. They can feel the heat of Pharaoh's anger and his rage. And they know the Red Sea is about to be red with our blood. Now again, you're Moses right now. Let's just pretend you're Moses. What would you do? What would you say? You know, the first thing would come to my mind, one word, run. That's what I'd say. I mean, I mean, really think about it. You might be looking for every white flag you could find to raise and surrender, hoping for mercy. Maybe they'll spare us. Maybe they'll just let us go back to Egypt and become slaves all over again. That's what maybe you might think you would say. How does Moses respond? Now watch this. Moses answered the people. I love this part. I'll tell you why. Do not be afraid. Now, can you imagine? Now, you're not Moses. You're one of those Israelites. And all Moses says is this. Don't be afraid. You know what you'd want to do right then? You'd want to take a brick and hit him in the head. Don't be afraid. Is that all you got? That's your advice? We're about to be cut down. I'm about to see my family slaughtered in front of my eyes, and you're telling me, don't be afraid. But then it gets better. Moses continues. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Now, I'm going to be very honest. If I were not a believer, if I did not believe God's word, if I was a skeptic, if I was an atheist or an agnostic, and I read something like that, here's what I would think. That just sounds like Norman Vincent Peale positive thinking psychopop. That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, I'm about to get obliterated. My back is against the wall. I'm about to get destroyed. And here's what you're telling me. Oh, be confident. Fear not. Don't run. Be calm. Stand firm. You know what I'd say to you? Get lost. I mean, come on. Because emotionally, that was great advice. Let me tell you what happens. I've seen this so many times. So often, the first thing God will do when you're in a Red Sea moment, you know what he'll do? He'll put you on standby. That's when we get frustrated with God. God, I'm not hearing you. And God says, I'll speak when I'm ready. God, I'm not seeing you. And God says, I'll let you know when I'm going to do something. And sometimes God he just puts us on standby. He will tell you just to be still. You know why? Because what do we tend to do in those Red Sea moments of our life? I'll tell you what I tend to do. I start biting my fingernails and I start pacing the floor and I start worrying about how can I get out of this situation? And I lay awake at night thinking, can I solve this problem? And all that time, God keeps saying one thing over and over and over, be still and know that I am am God. Be still and know that I am God. Now, you may say, well, <laughs> when you're in that situation, you really don't have much of a choice, do you? No, you really don't. 
And here's the good news. If you'll do what you can, God will do what you can't. If you will do what you can, God will do what you can. And see, what Moses is reminding us of is in our Red Sea moments, we have got to trust in the presence of God. We've got to listen to the voice of God because in his time, not your time, in his, he'll show you what to do. He will speak to you. And once you've done all you know to do, you just got to simply wait and then do what God decides to do. Our church is a great example. So 18 years ago, I'm pastoring a church about 12 miles from here. Didn't have to leave. They didn't want me to leave. I was the king of that town. I mean, I'm telling you, I was the guy. I'm not trying to say this to brag. I'm just being honest. I had nobody, everybody loved me. I had no issues whatsoever, but God, I knew was leading me to plant a church, something I never, I'm 50 years old. The last thing I thought about was planting a church, but somehow God led me away from that church. So with a core of about 200 people, we started a high school cafeteria not far from over here. Some of you were back with me, with me back at that time, and you will never forget, you can attest to the fact, we all felt like it was a Red Sea moment. I mean, I'm literally like the dog that caught the car. Now what do I do? Okay, I planted this church, but Lord, I didn't, I, I didn't sign up to be in the cafeteria the rest of my life. And, and you know, we've got this, this, this big building over here. We've got all this property, but I, we don't have the money to pay for it. And I was having a Red Sea moment, and I was losing sleep, and I was walking the floor. And I was wondering, how am I going to pull this off? And I can still remember almost the day it happened when God spoke to my heart and said, have you done everything you know to do? I said, Lord, I've done everything I know to do. He said, fine. When you've done everything you know to do, then leave it to me to do what I need to do. And I want to tell you, all I could do then was just watch what God would do. And you know how God came through. You know, and, and through the generosity and confidence of so many women of God, here we are. So Moses does all he can do. And then God says, all right, tell everybody, be quiet, stand still, just watch. So with his troops fast approaching, now here's the good news. You ready? This is so cool. Pharaoh thinks, ha, I've got you right where I want you. But God is saying to Pharaoh, ha, I've got you right where I want you. You just don't realize, bro, what's going on. And then God speaks. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Okay, here we go. All right, God, what do we do? God, God gives one order, just one simple order. All right, everybody face the Red Sea. All right, we're facing it. March. What? Yeah, March. First time. Bet you never thought knew this. Ready for this? You know history? Do you know this is the first time an entire nation marched out from under the bondage of another nation, first time ever in recorded history, that one nation marched out from under the bondage of another nation. They never fired a shot. They never drew a sword. They never wielded a spear. They never shot an arrow, never. And think about this. Moses had never led an exodus before. I mean, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but schools didn't give a degree in exodusology. There was no 1-800-exodus hotline. 
There was no book written on how to do an exodus. You couldn't go on YouTube and watch a tutorial on how to part a Red Sea. Moses, he didn't know what to do. There was only one thing Moses could do. There was only one thing they could do. When God speaks, you just obey. So God says, okay, face the Red Sea and march forward. All right, what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. When you do what is possible, you can trust God to do the impossible. When you do what is possible, you can trust God to do what is impossible. So you trust God wherever he leads. You obey God whenever he speaks. But I told you it gets tougher. And this is the hard part. But probably the most important part. It won't do you any good if you trust God wherever he leads or you obey God whenever he speaks if you're not willing to glorify God whatever he does. You've got to glorify God whatever he does. Now, what was God doing and why was God doing it? You say, I know what God was doing. He was parting the Red Sea. Why was he doing that? Well, he was doing that to rescue the children of Israel. That's not why he was doing it. No, oh, that's not why. That was not his motive. Well, you say, well, well, what was his motive? He had a bigger motive than that. Here's why he did it. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Notice what he said. He said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to harden his I'm going to pursue him so I can rescue you. He doesn't even mention them. So I get you to the other side. He doesn't even mention them. So I get you to the promised land. He doesn't even mention them. No, I'll tell you why I'm doing it. I'm going to gain glory for myself and I want Pharaoh to know and I want those Egyptians to know and I want those soldiers to know and I want those magicians to know. And I want every pagan in that land to know I'm in control. I am the God that created. I am the God that controls. I am the God that confirms. I am the God that does whatever I please and nobody in the world can stop me. And I want to tell you something. If you don't learn something about God early on in your relationship with God, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be angry. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be bitter. Here's what you need to learn. God's way is always the right way. And God's way is always the best way. But God's way is not always the easy way. God's way is not always the comfortable way. And I hate to burst some bubbles in this room. But contrary to what some preachers are preaching today, and I won't mention who they are, you know who they are. God's primary purpose in life for you is not to make sure you get the Mercedes and live in the million-dollar house and wear the Rolex and be comfortable all your life. That is way down his list. In fact, it's not even on his list. God's primary purpose for you is to put you in a situation where you always bring glory to him and you always honor him and you always acknowledge him because let me tell you something. Till you get to the point, and I've got to do this myself, till you get to the point in your life where you say, Lord, if my death will mean more glory to you than my life, take my life. 
Because at the end of the day, you do understand what you're going to spend eternity doing, right? Glorifying Him. Bring honor to Him. Blessing Him. And so God says, this is my purpose. This is what I'm trying to do. No, He didn't make the way easy. And you know why? Because if the Israelites had escaped, or if the Israelites had somehow miraculously beaten back the attack, you know what would have happened? They would have taken the glory. They said, look what we did. Look how great we are. They'd pat themselves on the back. They'd leave God out in the cold. So see, God has a method to his, mass, his, his madness. Now, here comes the part, guys and gals. Here comes the part, kids. This is the part we all love, right? Here we go. So you can hear the drums. Here's the climactic scene. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. You got to admit, even your heart's hard as a rock. Wouldn't you love to have been there? It'd be pretty cool, right? Hey, tell your kids, you don't need the rubber duck tonight, kids. Everything's good. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on the dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Man, what a scene. (laughs) Moses holds his rod over the sea. God parts the sea. There's these two gigantic walls of just cauldron, bubbling water, and two million Israelites cross over onto dry land. Say, hey, man, we're good to know. Well, not quite yet. They're not out of the woods because the Egyptian army is still hot on their trail. But thank God, they forgot their life preservers. They forgot their rubber duck. So here's what happens. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. And Moses probably said, I just hate it when things like that happen. Unbelievable. God holds back these walls of water. And then you know what God does? It's so beautiful. Here's what God does. He just puts his hands in his pocket. And those walls of water collapsed. And like that, the Egyptian army is drowned. Now, I realize people are saying, come on, dude. It's 2021. I mean, there's got to be some kind of a scientific meteorological explanation for this. And there are some that are out there. Matter of fact, I, I, I was taught in seminary. And by a lot of liberal scholars, they, they still deny this is the way it happened. They say, oh, that was the Sea of Reeds, not really the Red Sea, which technically it, it was the name. But, but they say, you know, it, it really wasn't that big of a deal. In fact, I heard about a professor in university one time. And he was teaching a class on biblical literature. And he told the class, he said, let me just tell you something. He said, forget this Bible stuff. He said, this Red Sea was only about six inches deep, number one. And it really wasn't even a sea. And one student raised his hand and he said, really? It really wasn't a big sea? He said, no, six inches. And in fact, it really wasn't a sea? No, it wasn't even a sea. And the student said, that's one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. And the professor said, so you like my explanation? He said, do I like it? I'm going to preach it. He said, you are? He said, oh, yeah. 
I never realized till you just told me that the Lord drowned the Egyptian army in six inches of water. What a miracle. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, yeah, there are a lot of liberal scholars out there that call themselves biblical scholars that still deny this is the way it happened. And I'm going to be honest with you. I do believe what God's Word says, and I'll, I'll tell you, we, we're not quite sure. I don't, I'm not quite sure how it all physically worked, but that's why it's called a miracle. Because there's two things you can't deny that had to be a miracle. Whatever else you have to say, two things happened you can't explain apart from God. When Moses held out his staff, that water parted. And when Moses had his hand, the waters went back. You cannot deny those two things. So, here, so okay, so what's the point of the story, Pastor? Real easy. When God leads you to a wall, it is his job to break the wall down. When God leads you to a wall, it's his job to bring the wall down. If God leads you to a door that's locked, it's his job to open the door. If God leads you to a sea, it's his job to either part it or teach you how to swim. However, there's another side to the story that I don't want you to miss. This is so important. Listen to this. Everything that God does for us, does for us, is not just for his glory. It is by his grace. Because think about this. Daybreak comes, the waters close over, and all these Israelites are watching these dead bodies floating in the sea. All these dead bodies. And one thing's very evident. Israel didn't deserve any credit. They hadn't raised a finger. They hadn't killed a single man. They hadn't fought a single battle. They hadn't wielded a single sword. All they had done, they followed where God led them to go. They did what God told them to do, and they believed what God said he would do. It's all, all by grace. But there's an even greater miracle in the story. And unfortunately, so many people miss it. There's a greater miracle than just the parting of the Red Sea. Because remember I told you God had two purposes in mind? So now, let's go to the greater miracle. You say, you mean there's something greater than what? Oh, yeah, something greater. Remember, God made a prediction to Moses. And I guarantee you, when God said it, Moses in his heart thought, I don't want to be disrespectful. I know you're God, but I, I, I just find this hard to believe. Here's the prediction that he made. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. He said, Moses, when I'm finished, you know what the Egyptians are going to be singing? Amazing grace. When I'm finished, you know what these Egyptians are going to be doing? They're going to confess, I am the Lord. All right, trivia question. Just before all those Egyptian soldiers were drowned and just before they died, do you know what their very last words were? Anybody remember? Here they are. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. What? Oh, yeah, we get it. Yep, a day late and a dollar short, but you get it. All this time, you hadn't been chasing them. You've been chasing God. All this time, you've not been rejecting them. You've been rejecting God. All this time, you've not been fighting against them. You've been fighting against God. And for the first time, these Egyptians had acknowledged the true God and even called him by his name, Yahweh, the Lord, the most sacred name for God. They confessed him. And then another miracle on top of this one. So you mean there's still more? Oh, yeah, it gets better. 
Because for the first time in 400 years, the nation of Israel had come back to their God. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. I've told you this a thousand times, and I'll keep telling you. Whenever you're in a Red Sea moment, whenever your back's against the wall, whenever you're up the creek without a paddle, whenever it looks like there's no way out and there's no way up, when it looks like there's no hope and there's no help, God is asking one question. Do you trust me or not? This is a put up or shut up moment for you, not for me. I know what I can do. I know what I will do. Do you trust me or not? No, I don't know what Red Sea you're facing right now. It may be one that God led you into. By the way, you may even be in a Red Sea moment and maybe it is your fault. Maybe you're the one that walked into it. Maybe you're the one that caused you to have this situation in your life. It doesn't matter. Remember, the Lord is still before you leading the way. He's still beside you making a way. He's still behind you securing a way. But there's still one last piece to this story. And I hardly ever hear preachers talk about it, and I don't understand why. I've told you many times, and I know some people still don't believe it. And the reason I know it is because people say, well, you know, I like the Old Te New Testament, but I just don't like much of the Old Testament. Let me tell you why you ought to love the Old Testament just as much as you love the New Testament. You ready for this? The entire Bible is all about Jesus. Genesis is just as much about Jesus as Galatians. Exodus is just about Jesus as, it, as, as is Ephesians. All of the Bible is about Jesus. And what the Exodus is in the Old Testament, the resurrection of Jesus is in the New Testament. The Exodus is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. You say, what? Think about it. The Exodus is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. You say, can you explain that to me? All right, watch this. This will, make, this will make a Baptist get happy. We were trapped in a dead end called sin. And we were pursued by an enemy called death. But God lifted a staff in the shape of a cross. And God parted the sea of sin. And God put death to death so he could lead us to a promised land where we will live with him forever and forever. Hallelujah. And that's why in your deepest, darkest, most de desperate Red Sea moment, that is why you can know always by the grace of God and for the glory of God, every sea will part and we will make it to the other side. Would you pray with me right now? With his bowed, with eyes closed. Again, I don't know what you're going through right now. I have no idea. But I'm going to say it and keep saying it. Jesus Christ didn't just die on the cross and come back from the grave so he could give you eternal life and take you to heaven when you die. He died on a cross and came back from the grave 
so he could walk with you in this life through every Red Sea moment that you face. So he could build you and grow you and help you to experience life like you've never experienced it before. And I just want to say, if you're in a Red Sea moment right now, and you are sick and you are tired of trying to part that Red Sea on your own because you can't do it anyway, maybe God led you to your Red Sea moment to make you realize your need for Jesus. So I want to say, if you're in this room right now or you're watching me right now, if you've never, ever trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I'm asking you, I am appealing to you right now, would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to trust Jesus Christ right now as your Lord and Savior? If the answer is yes, then just tell him. Just say something like this, Lord Jesus, I'm a Red Sea sinner. I need a Savior. Sin is in me. Death is after me. And they will both defeat me if you don't come through for me. I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and save me and forgive me of all of my sins. I repent and turn away from my sinful life. I surrender my life to you as my Lord, and I trust you as my Savior. Now, if you prayed that prayer, first of all, if you're watching online right now, or you can do this if you're in this building, but if you're watching online right now, if you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it, would you just do one thing, not for me, but for you? We want to help you begin with your walk with God. We're not going to bug you or anything like that. Not going to try it. We're not going to come to your home. But would you just do this so we could just send you some information and we could help you get started in your walk with God? You just either right now go to crosspointchurch.com slash decision or get on your phone and text Jesus to 678-255-2566. That simple, that easy. When you go to either one of those websites, or that website or, or, or to that text number, when you do that, you're going to find some prompts and some instruction that'll tell you, okay, this is what you need to do next to get started in your walk with God. We just want to help you to do that. But if you're in this building, I'd like to ask you to do this. When this service is over, we have a table out at our lobby called Connection Point. I'd like to ask you to go to that table. There'll be people waiting on you out there and just tell them the decision you made today. So for example, if you, if you prayed to receive Christ today, would you just go tell them that just say, hey, I want you to know I, I received Jesus as my Lord today. What's my next step? What do I need to do next? They'll help you. I can already tell you that the next step after being saved is being baptized. That's the very first thing God demands of a believer is to be biblically baptized. Some of you, you're believers, but you've never been biblically baptized. Maybe that's the decision you need to make. I'd like to ask you to do that. Go out there and just say, hey, I trusted Christ. Here's my testimony. But you know, I've never been biblically baptized. I need to do that. Or maybe there's some of you here today, you say, you know, I, I, I need to be a part of this church. I'd like to join this church. I've been coming. I need to get involved. Same thing. Just go and say, I'd like to be a part of this church. Or it just may be you're in a Red Sea moment. And you just want somebody to pray for you and pray with you. They're more than happy to do that. Now, there are a lot of people out there that have Red Sea moments. And you know what? They don't know what to do because they don't know God. They don't know Christ. They don't even know what we talked about today. 
And that person that you know that's like that, that's your one. That's your one. So would you this week, this is your assignment. Would you this week take your one, and everybody ought to have one. Would you take your one, and especially that one that's going through that Red Sea moment, don't let them waste it, and don't you waste it. Take a moment this week to pray for them. Take a moment this week to go see them. Take a moment this week to call them. Take a moment this week to talk to them. And take a moment this week to start a spiritual conversation. Father, I want to thank you that when our back is against the wall, you'll part that Red Sea. When that door is shut, you'll open it. When that wall's in front of us, you'll break it down. Now, thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the day that we've had. And Lord, use us even this day to do two things, to bring glory and honor to you, and then even today to maybe bring someone to know you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.